We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. Folks, we are back after a week-long hiatus. And yeah. I gotta tell you, it was it was weird not having a podcast, Chris. I enjoyed it. I didn't have to see your dumb face. I didn't have to see yours either. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it was it was an incredible week. It was a life-changing week, Chris. Week 10. Week 10 as we start every single Bills podcast, the Week 10 Quarantine Update. A lot of things have changed for both of us over the course of the last, well, what, 14 days since we last had a podcast? Yeah, you have uh, somebody else in your family. and it, It's incredible how much our lives have changed. For you, Chris, <sighs> okay, I got to open a beer for this one, folks. Gotta open a fresh drink. For those of you who have Twitter and have already seen the promo that we shot on Twitter for this broadcast, you already know the horror that I speak of. For those of you who haven't, you could go to the Rock Piles Instagram page, which is literally only run by Chris. Yeah. I don't even have Instagram. I refuse. And Well, you had it that one time, your uh, the Rams and Bills game. <laughs> where uh, it was the Bills Fanatics uh, Instagram put that video out where uh, Roby Coleman intercepted whoever, Goff, and returned it for a touchdown as you had just finished bitching about our past defense. Oh, it went viral. Yeah, it went, saw it, that. yeah it went viral. It had like 15,000 views, and I think that was the only reason you got Twitter or uh, Instagram was to look at that and uh, parse through the comments. So he's put this on Instagram. It's currently on Twitter. 
Folks, I'm having a hard time looking at my car. We're, we're literally sitting seven feet away from six feet away from each other, and I'm having a hard time that's, looking at your that, stupid face. Yeah, that's one arm length for you. Six Tell or seven the people, feet. Chris, because I'm having a hard enough time trying to trying to tap dance around this without getting angry. Tell the people why I just want to put you in a headlock right now. Because I have a blonde mohawk. Dyed mohawk. Dyed my mohawk blonde. It's blonde, blonde. Blonde and Blonde. shaved on the sides. Yeah, I'm going to get a haircut Friday, so it'll look better. There's no way to make this look better. You, Chris, first and foremost, why? Can you please tell me why? You tried to explain it to me last week when you texted me a picture of it, and I couldn't speak to you about it. I was still too angry. It's just being different. I don't know anybody that has a blonde mohawk. As far as I know, I'm the only one just being different. Is that it now? Embracing change. You've spent 36 years trying to be a wallflower, and now's the time that Chris Krueger has decided that he's going to take a step forward. He's going to get out there. Yeah. Are you having a midlife crisis? I've been having a midlife crisis since I got divorced. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, it's not bad enough that he has, I mean, it literally is the taxi driver mohawk dyed blonde. He tells me, because I told him, I go, listen, if this helps you get more traction with women than your old mohawk did, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be a part of a society that allows that to happen. Chris goes, oh, yeah, I got I, I actually, you know, some 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 women, some women have stopped me and said that they liked it. I asked him where he was when this happened. Chris, rollerblading, just, just so people know, rollerblading, I want to bite your face. Rollerblading. Say it. Yeah. Folks, he's what? Where were you? I was at the Outer Harbor. So he's in the Outer Harbor, the waterfront of Buffalo, New York, with a blonde mohawk Roller, and rollerblading. Rollerblading. Yeah. And so how else? I can't go. I'm not go to the gym guy. Do push-ups. You struggled to do thirteen of them. Yeah. No. 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 I'll go outside. Go rollerblading. Folks, That's what I did. In the words of a great man. Mr. Ron Swanson, this is my hell. My rollerblading, blonde mohawked host, co-host, producer. Yeah. Uh, Enjoy it. Just wait till I do other colors. What? Yeah. When this grows out, I'll do a different color. I, oh, I know you better. Are you saying this just to get me angry on here, just to see if I'll, if I'll curse in front of our listeners? Well, you do that anyway. I mean, it'll... I mean, I'm not going to go crazy like orange, purple, blue, none of that. What other colors are there? Black. Your hair was already black. And brown. It was brown. Or I can do like an auburn red. If you do a red mohawk, Chris, the drop kick that I'm going to give you. I'm going to go. I'm going to go down to the harbor front, like the movie Big Daddy. I'll be down there at the Outer Harbor, waiting for you to roll everybody by, and I'm going to throw a stick in front of you. That's what's going to happen if I see you skating by with that fucking haircut. Oh, you're the worst. And folks, he says he's somehow getting traction with ladies. Women have stopped you? Yeah. I've had I've had one. I'm willing to make you a Seagram's back, Chris. Alright. Every date that you get because of this stupid colored mohawk, I'll drink a Seagram's. Okay. A because A, I don't think it's gonna happen. B 
I don't want to be a part of a world that allows that to happen. So if the diabetes takes me faster, so be it. All right. Well, how how are, we'll have to figure that the uh, the whatever that what's the context of uh, of a date? We'll need your rules. Dinner, dinner, and there's some display of affection over the course of it. You either hold hands or there's a kiss to end the night. All right. Got it. And this is a Seagram's for each date? Each different female. Different. Okay. So if it's the same one. Then I know she's, I know she's brain damaged. And then <laughs> it's just the bet's over. If it's right. the same one multiple times, I just assume that she has some kind of genetic defect or brain damage and the bet ends. Well, okay. Well, what if someone's like, what if I go out with a woman and she's like, uh, yeah. We should do a relationship. Would you drink like a 12-pack? I'll drink a 12-pack on this podcast. If I So if I get a, a legitimate girlfriend by what time? The start of football season? Yeah. By the start of football season with a stupid haircut, I'll drink a 12-pack on this podcast. Quarantine fist bump. That confirms it. I hate you so much right now. God, I really hope that there is a woman out there that loves a blonde mohawk because I would love to see you drink a 12-pack of Seagram's. I'd love to see you drop dead. That that hair, made, it's <laughs> enraging, folks. But it's good for me, I guess, in the sense because nothing can really rock my boat at this point. For as mad as I am at Chris and for as much as I do want to pull a Tyson on him and just take just take a chunk of his ear. In the grand scheme of things, I don't actually care. My blood pressure, considering how angry I sound, is relatively low. And Chris, that's because Bill's Mafia has gained a new member. Yeah, you got it. My son, Jack Gear. <laughs> I'm, I'm officially a father, folks. First of all, I want to start off by saying thank you. I want to say thank you to everybody who reached out to us, whether it was through Facebook, through Twitter, through... Chris, explaining to my wife the number of people... She was astounded. She's like, you mean to tell me 250 people like that on Twitter care, commented, said, sent their well wishes. They care about what happens to you and the fact that you have a son. It blew her mind that people who don't know me are still somehow interested in what happens to me. Yeah, well, your latest thing on Twitter is the, uh, the analytics of the tweet. I mean, that tweet was like, had... Like 40,000 engagements. I don't care about any of that, Chris. What I care about is, for everybody out there, well wishes, your advice. Know that it's well received, and I'm probably going to need more of it. So so those of you who have children, stay tuned. Keep in touch, because I'm I'm sure over the course of the next 20 years, I'm going to need some advice, Chris. And then for those of you who who generously sent me gifts of, Chris, beer diapers, barbecue Bibles, which I can't wait to get balls deep in when during those late night feedings when there's literally nothing else to do. It, it's a humbling thing, Chris, to know that people care. That people care that much that they go out of their way to... I mean, Chris, I'm a stranger to most of these people. Yeah. And yet they don't feel that way because of our podcast and because of how, just how we are. I, it was incredible. It, it really was. And thank you to all of you guys. I mean, from all over the world, all over the country. I love you guys. I love the fact that we do this. And I, 
it, Chris, like I said, I'm just incredibly humbled and I'm incredibly grateful. Now I can ask questions? Yes. All right. Now, I've got questions. <laughs> You've got questions. Yes. That begins Thursday was supposed to be the planned due date, mm -hmm. and then it went into Friday. So was Larissa in like labor that whole time, or like how did that play out? I guess it's part of a bigger conversation, Chris. Um, I mean, one of the things that I... You know, people tell you that the feeling of having a kid when you have your own child, that you quote-unquote see life differently. And I, f I got a crash course in the fact that over the course of the last five days, that that's not just hyperbole. So to answer your question, you're right. We, she was, we went to the hospital on Thursday night. She was to be induced. And hopefully you're thinking, you know, going to have a kid on Friday morning, Friday afternoon. As this situation plays out, they, it becomes apparent that there's a need for an emergency C-section. And so all of a sudden I'm getting handed scrubs and being told to put on a hairnet and we have to go into the OR. And everyone's telling me it's routine. This happens. It's a thing. It's just going to be good for the baby. It's going to be good for her. Your kid's head is enormous. Your, your wife is a tiny human being. Your child is a monster and therefore this is necessary. So we go in there, and we're in the OR, and they conduct a cesarean, and they... Chris, I'm not going to lie to you. You and Kyle Trimble, the bet on whether or not I'd cry? Yep, that would have been my next one. Oh. Cried? The, the, the waterworks, I, it was involuntary. I didn't even realize I was crying. Was it was it, just happening. And, and I'm going to assume that this happened as soon as they pulled the baby and you heard the baby cry. Yeah. Or were you, I don't know, were you watching... Well, I was with her above the sheet that they have up where they're doing the C-section. And some small Asian man starts poking me, telling me I have to get my camera. And I think he's asking to see my camera. And then next thing I know, he's talked me into videotaping them with the kid coming out. And then they're taking him over to clean him up. And I'm going over to check that out. And as soon as I saw him, I just started, I, the waterworks. I didn't even realize I was crying. 100% figured that, that, uh, that you would, that you would do that. Now my... My next question would be... Well, and that's where things kind of got... I mean, you want to talk about seeing life differently. That's where things take kind of a turn, Chris. <sighs> I cleared it with my wife. Don't worry. I'm, I'm allowed to tell the story. So, this is about 7.20. 7.28, to be exact. was the date of birth. The time of birth. You have this kid, they put him in my arms. It's one of the greatest feelings you could ever imagine. And I bring him over to the other end of the table so that she can see him because she's laid out on this operating table. And then all of a sudden, bells and whistles start going off. And the... I, I notice that there's everyone starts to get kind of... No one's panicking, but all of a sudden everybody starts moving very quickly. And I start hearing a lot of medical jargon being thrown around. And I, I can't pick up all of it because, Chris, I'm not a smart man. <laughs> I'm not a you smart definitely man. don't look it. But they talk about, I hear the terms hemorrhage. I hear them calling for, anti, uh, for coagulants. I mean, she was on blood thinners her entire pregnancy. They're calling for coagulants. 
and they're talking about hemorrhaging. And the term that I had to Google to figure out what it meant, hypovolemic shock, which is when a person goes into shock because their body loses too much fluid too quickly. And next thing I know, they put the kid in my arms and tell me I have to leave. I have to leave. And I'm, dude, Chris, how, how am I taking direction? You're, you're not good because I had, I had heard about that this had happened that Larissa went into like emergency surgery. And my first reaction as a friend of yours was concern for the people that had to deal with you. Because in that moment, I can just picture you raging out of your mind. You'd think so. So they hand me this this newborn baby and I'm all of a sudden back in the back in our room. You know the room that they give you when you get there to deliver. And she's still in the back. And no one will tell me anything. And they tell me, "Oh, it's 15, 15 minutes, she'll be right back out." 40 minutes goes by and I and I start asking questions, Chris. 40 minutes. You know me. I'm impatient. 40 minutes goes by. No one, no one will tell me anything. And now I'm starting to get angry. I'm starting to get frustrated. I'd like to go storm the nurse's station. And I'm, Chris, you know me. I want yeah. to storm your castle and I'm not leaving until I get an answer. You can call security. I don't give a shit. And that's where when they talk about you see life differently... Chris, that's my ego. My ego is, you can't tell me where to stand. I'll do what I want. I'll find information. You don't want to tell me what I want to know? I will find a way to make you tell me. I will force your hand. That's ego. And in that moment, I realized mine, gone. Because I looked down at that kid who desperately needed to be fed. They were like, he needs a bottle. He's, he was delivered. You'd have to feed him. And I took all of my ego and my pride and I packed it up and I sat down and I fed that kid. And I just said, look, I, I have no control over what's happening. But I have someone else who's depending on me. And it was one of the most humbling feelings of my entire life. Just thinking about it. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little... Ah, God. Well, that was going to be my next question. Is Chris, I've, I, in that moment... It made me reconsider all kinds of things about myself, about what I valued, about what was important. And when they wheeled her back into the room after two hours of surgery and said, she's fine, she's here, she's fine, everything's going to be great, it's going to be great. The feeling of relief that I felt and that new perspective I had is in terms of what's important in life, it... Chris, I, I, I don't know that there's been a more humbling thing that's happened to me over the course of my life. In 35 years, I've never felt that way. And we're almost a week removed. It's st- it was like it happened yesterday. Now, is Jack, is Jack going to be uh, raised with a formula? Or will you, and you specifically, be breastfeeding? <laughs> or is that a shared activity? This, this is why I love you, Chris. Is that a shared activity? Oh. God, no, it, formula feeding, formula feeding, and it's actually come in handy because 
she's been laid up with the C-section. So it's been me. I've been quarterbacking this whole thing. Yeah, I put my foot down with her. She's just as stubborn as I am. She want, Chris, she's still trying to get around and do things. She's fresh off a C-section. They literally cut her open and rearranged her internal organs. She still wants to be able to vacuum and clean and drive to the store. And it's like, what part of... You, no fly zone. What yeah. part of that don't you understand? They cut you open, lady. But that's my wife. And that's why she and I get along. And it's funny you mention that because you want to talk about seeing life differently now that I have a kid? My first sleepless night. <laughs> we bring the kid home on Sunday. Everyone's exhausted. We all just fall asleep. It's, it, it is what it is. Monday night comes and goes, you know, Monday into Tuesday. The day we're supposed to be, you know, we push the recording of this podcast. Yeah. Because it was mine and my wife's second wedding anniversary. Tuesday night. Monday night, she's still in too much pain to really get up and down with the kids. So it's like, okay, listen, I'll take care of it. I got this. I'm, I'm a capable man. <sighs> Chris, have you ever dealt with a newborn that won't sleep? I don't have any kids that I know of. I haven't been summoned to give a DNA test before. From Tuesday to Wednesday, I went 36 straight hours with no sleep. Not even like 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Zero sleep. The kid literally cried his way from one feeding to the next. There was, no, there was nothing I could do. Four changings, three bottles, two different changes of pajamas, no sleep. Chris, I learned that you can't bargain with newborns because they don't understand the value of currency. No, they have no concept. You can't bribe a baby to go to sleep. I mean, it blows my mind. Does he not know the amount of candy that you can buy with $50? Not yet. It's like, look, go to sleep, kid. I swear to God, I'll give, I'll give, you, a, I'll give you a fin. Here's 100 Knock yourself out. Just please let me get 10 minutes of sleep. And then at the same time, Chris, it washed over me like... I mean, Chris, you know me. I've yelled at you for stacking tables incorrectly at a tailgate. Yes, and you've also yelled at me that I bring nothing to this podcast during a draft podcast that never got aired. Never got aired. I've gotten impatient with you over some of the most minute things in the entire world, correct? My blonde hair. <laughs> I think we can all agree, our listeners included, that that just makes you a horse's ass. No, no, no. They love this hair. Oh, my God. I'm going to put up a poll. That's it. Twitter poll. Who loves Chris's hair? We're going to get a real verdict on this. That's coming tomorrow, folks. At Rock Power Report on Twitter. But with that said, I'm not a man with a ton of patience. And at the same time, Chris, the whole time this is happening, no sleep. I'm exhausted. I have this kid who's just uncomfortable and he's crying. And literally, not an ounce of frustration or anger. Not, not even a little bit. In fact, if anything, I just felt bad. I just felt bad that I couldn't make him feel better. How far removed from anything you know about me is that? That'll change come September. I have one last question, and I don't even know if you're, if you're able to, to answer it. But do we know if Gerber makes like a ghost pepper mash baby food <laughs> or a reaper mash baby food? Like, how soon are you going to test this kid's limits? I'm going to let him find out the way I found out. I was a child. I was in a. My mom tells me the story all the time. I was in a high chair. 
My father was eating eggs. I was probably two. He's throwing he's throwing Frank's Red Hot all over. No, Tabasco. Tabasco all over his eggs. And I was adamant that I wanted that Tabasco. And my mom's trying to, you know, here's my mom doing the motherly thing. Honey, you know, no, 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 you don't want that, you don't want that, you don't want that. And I'm crying because I want that Tabasco. And finally my dad, who's just had enough at this point, he's a man in his late, no, I was probably a little older, maybe three or four. He's a man in his 20s, late 20s. Just leans over and says, fine, you know what? You want some Tabasco? Here it is. And just puts it on my food. <laughs> and I ate that. And my mom said, you cried. You, she goes, you took a fistful of food and stuffed it in your face and you cried for over an hour. Guess what, Chris? I never asked for hot sauce again. It wasn't until I got older and learned to kind of test it on my own. I'm going to do the same thing for Jack. I'm going to let him establish where he wants to be. But at the same time, if you knock on the door... No, I'm not going to give my baby Reaper mash. But at the same time, if he wants to jump into the deep end of the pool, Chris, two by four lessons. <laughs> there's lessons in life that come easy, and there's some that hit you in the grill like a two by four. Those are the ones that you learn things from. I'm going to be willing to let him make up his mind as far as what do you want to know? You want to know what this is? You can find out, sir. I feel yeah. like that's going to be my approach to a lot of parenting. Yeah, I, have, I don't think I have any more questions. Uh, I'll just be the one to uh, get him, like when he's five or six, buy him like a Fisher-Price breakaway table so he can flip tables like his father. <laughs> that, that has to be a thing. <sighs> it's just, it's an incredible feeling being a father, and I'm very grateful. I'm grateful to the staff over at Millard Fillmore Suburban taking care of my family. I'm grateful to our listeners for just their generosity and the, the support. And I'm thankful to you, Chris, even with your stupid hair, for just being here for me when I need you. And I'm thankful for the Buffalo Bills for giving me something, giving me something to look forward to this year now that, Chris, let's face it, this summer has been a bust. How's it been a bust? You just had a kid. No, but I mean in terms of sports. Well, yeah, from a sports perspective, yes. But the Buffalo Bills are getting ready to ramp up. And at least I have, the, you know, aside from Jack, which is the best thing. If I had to pick, I don't, I, Jack's one, the Bills getting back in session, that'd be number two. And with that, I feel like that's a great place to launch into this week's Bills News Update. <laughs> Sean McDermott addresses the media. Chris, following in the footsteps of Mr. Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott took to Zoom to hold a press conference to kind of talk about, I guess, open the floor to questions from the media. Can you imagine how hard it's been to be a professional journalist with no ability to congregate with the people that you're supposed to be interviewing? I mean, this is an interview that normally would happen during OTAs, right? Yeah, I mean, OTAs would be happening now. We're just coming to an end, and he, he held a one-hour Zoom meeting. It's interesting just the, how different this is for everybody involved. I mean, coaches aren't used to being in front of people. When you put me on a camera, it's not like it's... Chris, you've been a part of a number of Zoom meetings. It's still not the same as being in the room with them. Correct. So with that said, I was incredibly interested by a lot of it. It was over an hour. Obviously, there's no way to parse through all of it. But there was a few things that stuck out to me that I think are worth talking about. 
One of them is that Sean McDermott, without, I think, intending to do so, confirmed the bad blood inside Pagula Sports Entertainment. One of the storylines fans outside of Buffalo may not be aware of that came to the forefront of the news this offseason before COVID-19 just dominated the headlines was that things within Pagula Sports Entertainment, the LLC that technically owns both the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres hockey team, is something of a shit show behind the scenes, specifically on the hockey side of things. Tim Graham of The Athletic spent a lot of time diving deep into the issues, talking to both current and former employees, and using what he dug up to paint a picture of an organization that doesn't put its employees or its on-ice success first or foremost, and how the dysfunction that the shot callers and decision makers on the Sabres staff have kind of cultivated there, and the fact that they've botched everything. For, Chris, they've really botched everything. From You're a hockey fan. You can yeah. speak to this. They've botched everything from hockey decisions, personnel moves, to the simple execution of publicity grabs and fan events. Everything with the Sabres has been a wreck over the course of the last 12 months. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and I think a lot of that will stem as you, if you break down Bills and Sabres and how much of a train wreck the Sabres are than the Bills. The Bills kind of got it right with McDermott and Bean. And so you're not seeing that stuff with the Bills as you are with the Sabres because the Sabres, I don't think, have the right people in place. In terms of GM and coach? Yeah, to at least to an establish a culture. Okay. You can, you can see that the cultures between the Bills and Sabres are very different. And I think that starts with McBean. And we don't have that with the Sabres. And so that's why you see all of these things happening. You know, the knockoff misspelled jerseys for alumni night. Folks, to, to what he's talking about, let me explain this to you. They did an alumni night where they brought back alumni because this was supposed to be their, like, what, their 100 year? 50. 70, 50, 50 years, yeah, 50 1970. Year, their 50-year celebration of existence. They, they brought back alumni from all 50 years to do a big public show, like, hey, look, here's your favorite players. Let's get everyone into the arena. Let's get people out for events. And somehow they managed to not get licensed jerseys. They ended up using Chinese knockoffs of their own fucking jersey. And some of the names were misspelled. And somehow, as a professional sports organization, that missed... Chris, how many people does that go through? You not only ordered these knockoff jerseys, but then you didn't vet the name on the back before you put it on the guy and trotted him out there in front of the public. It's It speaks to a <laughs> level of just... Incompetence. Mis just incompetence and mismanagement that's almost unheard of in professional sports. Now, obviously, all of the public-facing members of the organization made a big point of decrying these as just rumors. Ah, well, we had a few missteps, and there's a lot of rumors of dysfunction, but everything here is healthy. But Tim Graham was able to get a quote from an anonymous source that, under the condition of anonymity, admitted that McDermott had, behind closed doors, expressed frustration and concern with everything happening on the hockey side of things. And that he's frustrated that that dysfunction could potentially leak over to the football side. 
and that somehow that could threaten to derail what he and Brandon Bean have worked really hard to cultivate in terms of turning this Bills franchise around. I think the way you fix that is if you are the Sabres, and I know they've already said that Bottrell's coming back, but if you were to fire him, I think you have McDermott and Bean in the interview to get the GM right for the Sabres so you don't have that kind of stuff bleed over from the hockey side of PSC into the football ops. To quote McDermott, here is his full response and reaction to when he was questioned by the media about his you know, alleged frustration or concern. This is what Sean McDermott himself had to say. Yeah, any concern that I have is addressed directly to Terry and Kim. And then outside of that overall, I'm encouraged where things are going. As you know, when we arrived here a few years ago, I think things have changed drastically since that time. I'm focused on the Bills, and I'm focused on leading a football team and leading an organization along with Brandon Bean to the best of my ability. I'm excited for the future. I'm excited about the people we have brought on board. And to me, obviously no one wants what's going on now and the challenges we have, but it's an exciting time in Buffalo, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Now, Chris, he is Captain Ambien. Yeah. Okay. He's a guy who makes his bones saying, speaking a lot of words and not actually saying anything. That's a very peace to me. It's a very PC way of saying there is a problem, but I've talked to our owners about it to make sure they understand the importance of our progress here and that it better not be a problem. To me, Chris, that quote right there all but confirms what Tim Graham was talking about. And now it's going to be a storyline, whether we like it or not. And as a Bills fan, I have no choice but to keep tabs on it. If things go south between our head coach and GM and the current regime here that owns the football team, they just kind of stumbled on them, Chris. Can we say that watching the Pagulas flounder through hiring on the hockey side of things illustrates that maybe they don't have the eye for talent so much as they got lucky? With Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. Yeah, because they were on their way to doing that with the Bills. I mean, they hired Rex Ryan. They were wowed by everything Rex Ryan had to say. You saw what that yielded. Yeah. So with that said, if things go south here between this regime and our ownership group, (sighs) Chris, you're going to know who's responsible for that. Yeah. Harry and Kim. Because there again, that's... Chris, like I said, they found these two. They gave them their first cracks at this thing. They took a gamble on a man who's worked in football almost, what, since he was 19? He's been working for the Panthers organization? Yeah. Worked his way up to assistant GM. They took a chance on him. Sean McDermott, always a coordinator, never a head coach. They bought into him, and they knew that the, they trusted that the synergy between the two of them would yield positive results. And they got lucky. Let's call it what it is, because watching them... Chris, look at the hockey side of things. What, they're on their third GM. He's doing poorly. They're on, what, fourth head coach? Poor hockey? Yeah. Jesus. Well, they... Let's see here. They bought the team, then they fired Ruff, replaced with Ralston, then they had Ted Nolan. They They fired Ralston, what, two months into the hockey season? Something like that. <laughs> then, then they got uh, Ted Nolan. Then they got Dan Bilesma. Then they got Phil Housley. 
and now they got Ralph Kruger. So I don't. I lost count. I was. I should have been using my hands to count. But I don't think. Uh, I don't think a hockey coach has been here for longer than three years since Lindy Ruff. And that's my point. You have to be cognizant of the fact that this organ, these owners, haven't done a lot of winning outside of McDermott and Bean. Chris, I have no doubt, though, that if Sean McDermott went to them and said, hey, don't fuck this up for me, would you listen? Yeah, I would. McDermott also had a statement that I think is really worth delving into here. He's somewhat bearish on rookie contributions. I mean, one topic of note after the draft was how complete our roster was. And the fact that rookies wouldn't truly have to contribute right away. Because the, the Bills already have a strong roster heading into 2020. Chris, we already had a full roster at almost every position. There was no holes, right? No, and, you know, we taking AJ with the first, their second round pick, and all of the free agent moves that we had made at the uh, the defensive line position and the versatility that our defensive line has, like, you know, what are we going to expect from A.J.? Well, and that's, and, and that's exactly the thing. When you look at the fact that they drafted A.J. Epinesa after spending in the front seven, you looked at what they did in trading for Stephon Gilmore, and then they drafted two wide receivers. Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs. They pretty much the plan... <laughs> Considering the work that we did, we're already fielding three NFL caliber talents at wide receiver on Sunday. So there's really not a lot of room for rookies to step in and make a splash to begin with. Right? Yeah, I think all of our rookies, at least for me, I don't have any high expectations for them. But fans everywhere have been getting more and more excited about the prospect of Zach Moss being a solid complementary back to sophomore running back Devin Singletary this season. Or, for some of you more rabid fans, I've, I've even heard people talk about how, oh, he could become the lead back. He could be the guy, and Singletary will be the best change of pace back in the NFL. And McDermott went and threw some cold water on that. But in particular, the rookies that are new to our football team, you know, it's a, it's a big-time uphill climb for them because this they don't know not only do they not know us but they don't know uh, our systems our schemes and then on top of that you you talk about transitioning to life in the nfl that's a whole nother program that we've tried to you know be at be on point with in in buffalo here with our our development team and the amount of time that they spend in helping these young men uh, transition to, to life in the NFL. Uh, so it's been, it's been a challenge. And I think just awareness to that is, has been the first step, right? Awareness that this, that there's a huge gap. We have to also then be realistic with potentially what could be their, their contribution level. We'll see uh, early on in particular. So uh, look, there's, there could be a chance that if we don't come back until training camp, we'll see where that goes. But if we don't, that there's only basically six weeks, and we're playing a real game. Uh, that counts. And it's Sean McDermott from his Zoom meeting press conference. You can find that on buffalobills.com. And it's funny because the question was asked by Matt Perino, who we're going to be joining during his tonight's uh, Bills, Bills Power Podcast. 
He's going to be rounding up Bill's podcast for, we're each going to do a lightning round style show. We each have 10 to 15 minutes to talk about a topic of the Bills this offseason. This is what we're going to be discussing tonight. So if you want to hear more of this, you want to get into more of the statistical stuff, make sure you check it out. It's going to be on New York Upstate's YouTube page. Chris, for as long as I live, I will never forget the rage that I had. The way McDermott kept starting Ramon Humber at linebacker in 2017 over the newly drafted Matt Milano after not liking the pick and then seeing Milano play in the preseason and knowing that he was a better athlete than Ramon Humber. I mean, Chris, Ramon Humber was damn near 40 and he played like it. But then you look at Milano's development. Can you argue with the approach? No, I mean, you don't want to put... What Milano was, what, fifth round? You don't want to put too much on his plate. You don't want to put it too much on any player's plate. McDermott is a culture guy, and he firmly believes that you have to earn the right to get on the field. And that's why, Chris, I took it upon myself after hearing this question. I went down the rabbit hole. What, Chris, you have in front of you a chart. Yeah, I don't know how you made this with having a kid. Yeah, that's because I had a kid and I didn't sleep. That's <laughs> what you get. I have a chart charting all of the rookies of note that have played under Sean McDermott from 2017, 2018, and 2019. I have their snap counts, week 1 through 8, weeks 9 through 17, and the percentage change between those, as well as the increase or decrease in their touches, and then ultimately what their overall stats were to end the season. Chris, tell me that that's not an impressive amount of data aggregation. This is a, um, this is an uh, oppressive number of... Uh charts here i particularly like the zay jones category <laughs> that is my favorite one because the, that is a drop-off one of the things that you find is that in sean mcdermott's career only four players four rookies have been able to come in and play a significant number of snaps at their position i mean chris when you look at the overall snap totals you've got zay jones who plays 75 trey white at 98.7 Allen at 67.9. A lot of that was because of injury. Yep. And then Edmonds at 91.3. They're the only ones to crack 70%. That's it. They're the only ones. Every other rookie has really had to make their bones. And one of the things that you find when you look at the change in snap count percentage from the first half of the season to the second half, you, you see some names here, Chris. Look at Deion Dawkins. Deion Dawkins played 74% of the team's snaps his rookie season in 2017. But he only played 267 total snaps through the first eight weeks. And then that number increased almost by 100% over the second half of the year and represented 100% of all available snaps at the position. He took the job in the second half of his rookie year. Never looked back. Cordy Glenn? Cordy Glenn was hurt. He filled that role and never gave it up. But he had to earn it. It wasn't just given to him, even yeah. though they drafted him to be a tackle. Yeah, I would, have, I would ask a lot of, that would be my one question to you about this chart as you go from snap counts week 1 to 8 and then 9 to 17 is, you know, that's halfway through the season. How much of this is injury related? Well, some of it. I mean, like you see Teron Johnson. Teron Johnson played 281 snaps week 1 through 8. Only 124 for the rest of the year because he played a he, he was hurt and he missed a huge chunk at the end of that season. 
But then you look at how he's, I mean, when, when you look over all this data, Chris, which, folks, I'm going to tweet a screen cap of this out just so you can all follow it. Again, at Rockpile Report, so you know what I'm talking about. You see that I'm putting in the legwork here to not just take my opinions and run with them as fact, but I research it. When I've looked at the numbers, out of four players who saw significant snaps out of the gate, that appeared to be related to either talent level when you look at uh, Edmonds and White. Chris, White was so good in the preseason, they had no choice but to just make him CB1. Yes. Edmonds. Edmonds was such an athletic freak. There was nobody else on that 2018 team who was going to play a better middle linebacker than him. Yes. There was nobody. Or it came down to need. Think about this. Allen wasn't supposed to play in 2018. They thought Nathan Peterman was going to be the guy. No. And then literally cratered no. in the first quarter of football. Yeah. <sighs> Another thing that you see when you look at these numbers, most of the players, quote-unquote, eased into play. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of Devin Singletary here. You look at his workload, Chris. He played almost 49.9, 50% of 2019 snaps at running back. He had 170 snaps weeks one through eight. 360 over the course of the next eight weeks. The change, the percentage change is the highest on the entire roster at 111.7%. He doubled his workload down the stretch. Why is that, Chris? Because he was really good. Because he Frank Gore was really old. Because McDermott felt that he had finally earned it. Don't get me wrong. For anybody out there who wants to say, oh, well, maybe it's just because he struggled and McDermott wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Well, Chris, week one against the Jets, he had four attempts for 70 yards. He was averaging 17 and a half a, a carry. McDermott wouldn't make him the feature back. Week two, he gets six carries. He's averaging nine and a half yards a carry. He gets a touchdown in that game against the Giants. He still, in the eyes of McDermott, hasn't done enough to be, quote-unquote, the guy. Then, when you get down the stretch you see that he starts getting volumes of touches. After week seven, that's where it takes off for him. McDermott, as a coach, believes in this idea that the players need to earn the right to play. I mean, Chris, one of the craziest things I'm looking at, you go back to 2018, Wallace and Foster, they were guys who started on the practice squad. Yeah. Wallace had zero snaps week one through eight. Weeks nine through 17, he played 415. He had 97% of the snaps at the cornerback position. He literally went from the bench to being a starter on the outside of the defense. And is that due to injury? Yeah, but he did so well. But think about it, Chris. They were bringing in street free agents to play cornerback. Yep. He wasn't going to rush the rookie to get out there. But when he did put him out there... Remember, Pro Football Focus was all over Levi Wallace. Yeah. Talking about he was one of the better guys at his position. Then you look at the trajectory of guys like Matt Milano. You look at Cody Ford, who spent most of the season. Chris, he didn't cement that job until Ty Inseki went down with injury. Yeah. Ultimately, when you look at it, a lot of the guys... There's, two, there's a couple things that stick out to me. Most of the players that have been eased in play on the offensive side of the ball. I think that what that tells you is that McDermott and Bean believe in themselves. One, 
that they can identify in the draft system fits. This is a guy who's going to be able to come in and fit our defense. And two, it speaks to McDermott's belief that his coaching can help them acclimate faster. Right? Yeah. And then you've got this. The players who have ramped up their production from their rookie year to now, starting in 2017 when McDermott got here, Milano, Singletary, Dawkins, those guys have taken on significant roles for this team, regardless of where they were drafted. Third round, fifth round, second round. Chris, that's, that is player development. Yeah, and I think we're really deep at a lot of positions, so I'm not expecting high snap counts this year from our rookies. Maybe Zach Moss, but outside of that, well, and to, low snap counts is and, what I'm seeing. Especially out of the gate. And to that end, you look at Devin Singletary. He finished his rookie year with 775 yards and two touchdowns. Now, Chris, you could argue that if he had been getting a starter share of the snaps from the get-go, especially when he's... Chris, when he's breaking off 17 yards of carry against the New York Jets week one, if they'd given him the ball 10 more times, doesn't that help him maybe get another touchdown? Doesn't that help him maybe get a little bit closer to 1,000 yards as a rusher, as a rookie? Yes. Maybe if you do those things, we're hearing more press about Devin Singletary this summer. But that's not how Sean McDermott does things. He firmly believes that you as a rookie have to earn it. And it's proven in the numbers and the way he's treated these rookies in terms of snap share. So now when you hear him talk about this, knowing that he already has a proclivity for that style of coaching, hearing him publicly discuss the impact he expects rookie players to make with a short offseason, that doesn't bode well for Moss's chances to be an impact player out of the gate, does it? No, it doesn't. So with that in mind, that third running back job when training camp gets here, that just became a lot more interesting. Yeah. A lot more interesting. Think about what we have on the roster. Chris, Yeldon, Brandon Bean, we laughed about it on this podcast, about Bean calling Yeldon a three-down back. back. Yep. What if they truly believe that? They don't. Chris, I wouldn't be shocked to see the three of them carried on game day and Moss's carries throttled back, out of the gate at least. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Mm. But I think anybody that's going to get snaps it might be moss you'd think so but mcdermott might be more inclined to allow yeldon to play a role early on the same way he did to devin singletary with uh frank Gore, until moss proves that he's ready again we're going to be joining matt perino tonight on his podcast to discuss this very topic and talk about what some reasonable expectations for these rookies given this information might be make sure you go check it out over on their youtube page nyup.com And then, Chris, there's the changes to training camp. McDermott confirmed that practices this summer are going to take place at one Bills drive in their entirety for the first time, of course, I can't even remember when. I mean, way back when the Bills used to do training camp at Fredonia University. Yeah, they did it at Fredonia, and then they moved it to Rochester. To Rochester. So I don't know the last time that it was done here in Orchard Park. This is big in the sense that it's a massive departure from the norm as most teams enjoy the environment being created outside of your cushy apartments and outside of your comfort zones. Yeah, I've always been a proponent of going away. Um, I think we're one of uh, you know, the few teams that still do go away and, 
And so um, I just believe in that for a lot of reasons, Vic, one of which is getting away, I think, builds uh, fellowship and camaraderie. And uh, I shared, you know, you share an experience. And anytime you can share an experience, I think that bodes well for, for building community, chemistry, and the like, which are so important, in my opinion, to, to building a good team. Bills head coach, Sean McDermott, from his hour-long Zoom meeting over on buffalobills.com. First of all, I never thought I would ever hear Sean McDermott refer to himself in the third person. That's disappointing. Well, he's like The Rock. <laughs> That's, it's genuinely disappointing. Yeah, it's just like The Rock, except he doesn't wear $500 shirts. It also shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that a coach who believes in culture first, everything else will follow, finds the bonding time that takes place at training camp important. I mean, Chris, this is a process that forces even highly paid veterans to go to live like college kids again for a few weeks. I get that. But if you think about it, it's an equalizer. It breaks down barriers. You're talking about players who have earned a lot in their careers versus players just starting out. And NFL journeymen who've never really latched on anywhere, who are all fighting for a job. I mean, some of these guys have lavish houses. And some of these guys, like a certain Bills captain we know, used to rent a room from you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's living, living it on up. Some of these guys are players with families, wives and kids, who are now commiserating with players who are single and just aren't, aren't at that point in their lives, but also don't have that outlet in terms of frustration and outside thought other than the task at hand. You've got players who have accomplished a lot professionally and those who are just scrapping to make their bones and try to even get their foot in the door. Going away to camp, really segmenting yourself, cutting yourself off from the rest of your family, your world, it removes so many of those barriers because everyone's forced to exist outside their comfort zones and now, Chris, you're all living together in the same place. That old support system that you have or your coping mechanisms that you've developed like a wife you may complain to after work, or this lavish wet bar in your home that you might go to and make yourself a cocktail of your favorite, you know, whatever. That's all stripped away, and you're forced to find a way to come together, to get through what it is you're working on. I'm left wondering what kind of an absence a training camp like this will have on NFL football teams. On one hand, I can see where if your team is at a lot of turnover and players aren't familiar with each other, that the bonding and the teamwork that takes place during training camp is really necessary in order to get everybody on the same page. And I can also see how teams that are planning on relying on rookies, Chris. Like, hey, these teams that are like, oh, this is the rookie class that finally makes us competitive. You need that time. You need to the, the thing of getting them acclimated to the pro game, getting them used to being a professional. Things like that become incredibly important. They have to get a feel for their established veterans, the quarterbacks, offensive line, their fellow DBs. In order to do their job, they have to understand what the job is. And that's what camp is supposed to give you. In that way, if you're that team, having your training camp uprooted like that could be a massive wrench in the tires. Or it could be like me showing up on the waterfront to throw a stick in front of you as you're rollerblading with your stupid fucking hip. <sighs> on the other hand, if you're a team like Buffalo that's returning its core players, hasn't changed any of its coaching staff, has added a number of veteran players who, some of whom, Chris, many of whom, A.J. Klein, Josh Norman, Vernon Butler, uh, Mario Quint Addison, Qu Mario Addison, Quentin Nelson, Jefferson, 
Quentin Jefferson that has already been vetted on one level or another by this staff that has all world facilities at their at their disposal the way ours does. I can't imagine that that's that much of a detriment. Can you? No, it's not. Well, I mean, guys like you and me who have never. Uh, Chris, let's face it. We're not the most athletic specimens on the face of the planet. I'm pretty athletic. <laughs> I'm more athletic than the average male. Good God. Because it turns my stomach hearing you say that. But with that in mind, we have no idea whether it's different or not. But luckily, our guest tonight can help us parse through that. All right, folks. First ad break on the Rock Power Report. Just kidding. We don't do ads here that we know of. Uh, for just for the next three minutes, the audio is going to sound like we're underwater, and I have no idea how that happened, but uh, we apologize for that inconvenience. You can muster through the next three minutes or just fast forward, and then it picks up. You don't like almonds, and he loves sweet baby rays. I'd like to put some barbecue sauce on that button. He doesn't swear. Buffalo Bill's long snapper, Reed Ferguson. Mr. Reed Ferguson. Chris, how many times do we have to talk about this? You have to salute when there's a captain on deck. Captain, oh, captain. (laughs) Mr. Ferguson, how are you doing this evening? Fellas, I am doing great. (laughs) (laughs) New listeners? Maybe don't know, maybe you've been living under a rock. This is Reed Ferguson, Buffalo Bills special teams captain. He is currently down in his home at Georgia enjoying this this whirlwind of a summer where everything's been turned upside down on his head. Normally, you would be where, Reed? Under normal circumstances, where would you be right now? Right now, I would be uh, in OP. Uh, going through OTAs, and I believe next week would be our last week of practice, uh, finishing up with mini camp uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, but of course, that is not happening, so we are all spread out still. So, before we brought you in, we were talking about it, and I kind of alluded to the fact that I have no idea. I can only speculate as to what the change in this really means. No training camp at St. John Fisher this summer. I think it's a good place to start this conversation. First of all, will you miss the training camp away from the Buffalo Bills practice facilities? Uh, Yes, I will. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, I've always enjoyed, I mean, in in the four years that I've done it, I've enjoyed going out there um, and, and staying in the dorm and, seeing the fans at practice and, you know, kind of the, the mutual, you know, respect there between the players and the fans. Uh, you know, we appreciate all the hundreds of thousands of people that I say hundred thousand thousands of people, I guess, that come out, uh, you know, for the three weeks, I guess that we're up there two and a half, three weeks, but, uh, we'll definitely miss that. But, um, you know, right now I think, the main concern for a lot of guys is just getting back to work. And um, unfortunately, you know, we won't be able to do it at St. John Fisher, uh, but hopefully we will um, have a chance to continue that uh, in the future. 
Now, we were just talking about Sean McDermott. You know, he spoke in his press conference last week about just the importance he puts on that time away and how you know, we talked about a little bit how it, having everybody in those situations outside of all their respective comfort zones kind of stripped of a lot of their just inherent coping mechanisms and having to really look at their teammates, spend time with them, rely on them. Do you think the offseason the, off the Bills players have had with the, you see the people practicing all over the country with each other, yourself included, and the makeup of this team from a culture standpoint are strong enough that it really won't rock the boat if you guys don't get that culture building time that this training camp away usually provides. Yeah, and I think um, I mean speaking to kind of the continuity of the team, we've got a lot of guys returning, um, and then in terms of the culture aspect. Uh, you know, those guys that are coming back, you know, such as myself, such as a lot of the offensive players and a lot of the defensive players um, are going to be able to or, or have already started with our virtual meetings and stuff that we've been doing for the past uh, past month or whatever, two months. Um, they've been they, they've they've been able to to start instilling the culture aspect of it. Um and kind of bring, bringing, the, bringing them up to speed uh, as best they can without us being together. But, uh, you know, it, speaking to the continuity aspect of things, I think that that's one thing that's huge for us, um, that we don't have new coaches. We, you know, we got uh, a good group of new guys, but we, the bulk of our team and the core of our team is coming back. No, I, I think it definitely helps. And before we move on here, I know you say that you don't you know, that you're going to miss St. John Fisher, but come on, level with me. You're not going to miss sleeping in a dorm room, right? I I mean, on the on, I mean, if you look at the uh, at the big picture, it's you know you're you're in a room, you know for whatever you know you're you're back in a dorm room. It's not it's actually not bad. I mean, we get beds to ourselves, we get rooms to ourselves. Um, I mean, they make it very, very accommodating. And one, one thing I will say is the, um, the the food up there is phenomenal. The chefs in the kitchen do a great <laughs> job. Uh, every meal of the day, they've always got stuff of great food available. So that's one thing that I will definitely miss. For now, I'll say this um, about for not training being, camp in Rochester. For not being one of the big guys on the team, like you're not you're not one of the big uglies and playing playing on either line. You're certainly not the you know, the Chris, he's not in the 300-pound club. No, he's but, not. But for that being said, I feel like you really love your food, Reed. You're, you're, I feel like you're one of those. Food is a very important thing to read. Well, if you follow him on Instagram, you'll know if you follow him. He's, his story, yeah. lots of food, lots of, lots of grilling. Drew, I think you hit the nail on the head. It is, it is a... Um, <laughs> Food is a high priority in my uh, my daily lifestyle. So that's probably why you don't mind it so much, because to you the food's amazing, so I don't mind sleeping in a dorm room. So with yeah, that said, you, you personally, I mean, this this is shaken. This COVID situation has shaken up the world for everybody, and I think that people can sometimes they do forget about some of the human aspect of athletes, football, sports, and obviously we're getting more and more of that as time goes on, but. For you personally, I mean, there's been a huge impact on just you this offseason. I mean, first and foremost, your wedding party was postponed. I mean, what's it been like dealing with that? 
Um, yeah, so kind of speaking on the wedding aspect of it, um, it, ha- it it's been tough, um, but Erica has been a real trooper uh, with everything as far as the scheduling goes. I think one thing that has uh, that's been kind of that's kind of made the transition a little easier for, to to kind of get the wedding postponed um, was her sister got married um, around this time last year, about a year ago, and kind of used uh, a same a different um, same venue but a different location at the at the venue. Uh, a lot of the same vendors, so there, there's a prior relationship there. So they were able to kind of re, refig, reconfigure some things on the dates. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, we're, you know, we're we're still getting married two weeks from Friday, um, family only. So uh, that'll be great. And then we're gonna, you know, like I said, we're, we got to postpone the the big wedding until after the season. You hear that, ladies? He's off the market. It's over. You had your shot. And you missed it. But- it's just, and I think it's, I think it's humanizing to talk about some of these things because it really does remind people that you guys are just guys, you're just dudes. I mean, that's one of the things I've always loved about you is that you are just, you're just a guy. <laughs> Whenever you've hung out, you're that's, not, you're not Reed exactly Ferguson. Right. You're not Reed Ferguson, the football player. You're just Reed Ferguson, the dude. One of the things exactly. that, one of the things that's been different for you this off season, you bought a house, you stepped up. You, I mean, you already owned a townhome in Georgia where you're currently staying with your brother, but you bought a house. In Orchard Park, and yet Chris, I believe, has spent more time physically inside the building than you have. How does that make you feel? Well, uh, I will say uh, he's. I, I I could not be more appreciative of uh, my ex roommate looking over <laughs> my my new house. Um, but what was that? I think I think kind of the uh, the funny part to take out of this whole situation is, uh, and and Chris can share more of the story because he was there. But uh, the day he sent me a picture of a dead bird in the house. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't know if that was kind of, kind of took me by surprise. I didn't know bit. I didn't know if that was supposed to be public knowledge, but I did go over to his house to be there for a kitchen table delivery and it just seemed that the easy path was through the front door now like two weeks prior i had sent him a picture message you know if you're standing at his front door facing out to the street in the top left corner there's a bird's nest so i sent him that and i guess during the door front door being open of getting this table in and all the pieces a bird had flew in and the next week, I go there, and uh, it's dead in the dead next to the kitchen table. Tried to fly out the back door, and there's poop everywhere. I had to clean that up. So Chris literally spent time cleaning your. He's done more cleaning in your new house than you have. Yes, he has. Which yes, is hilarious to me. And it's, I owe him big time. I already tell him that I owe him big time. We've joked around about it. I, I've, I'm actually having Vistaprint make up some business cards for Chris. I, I started to refer to him as the Ferguson Long Snapping LLC, uh, Director of Northeast Operations. That's yes, just his official that's, title. That's spot on. And it's funny because now, as soon as I told him that, he laughed, and then he goes, "Okay, well now I got to find a counterpart for the Southeast Division." For the Southeast Division. <laughs> now that's a thing because your little brother Blake Ferguson was drafted this year to the Miami Dolphins, which. I mean, 
mean, it just seems like an incredible coincidence that the two of you would not only from the same family end up playing football, but that during this kind of summer of COVID, you guys got to experience that together. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, watching your brother get drafted into the NFL, there's a picture of the two of you on Facebook just hugging. I can tell, you know, Blake's trying to do the thing. He has a face on like he's trying to do the thing where he's not crying, but he is crying. Can you describe what that moment was like for me? Yeah, so um, first off, incredible moment. I mean, uh, just to see uh, all the hard work he's put in uh, kind of come to fruition uh, was was simply amazing. Uh, it was a great feeling for the whole family. Um, and funny side note, uh, we had our neighbors over to watch, and we've been we had been sitting around since you know the, the the Saturday, the day three of the draft started at noon. So we we all kind of gathered around and ate lunch, or you know around eleven thirty or so, and around I don't even know when you got the call, maybe four thirty. Uh, so we had been sitting around for about five hours, and Erica and our neighbor, um, or the, the wife of our neighbor, um, decided they wanted to take Buck on a walk. And about five minutes into their walk, Blake gets the call. They missed it, you know, whatever. So that was that was kind of the funny thing, you know. <laughs> they came ran, they came running home, and and my mom was yelling out the window, but. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it was an incredible moment. So happy for him, but, uh, you know, unfortunately he's going to have to lose twice a year. So, <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. Like you think about the, just your family. I mean, first of all, your father's got to be pretty excited to know that he is the patriarch of the quote unquote first family of NFL long snapping. I mean, I, I did the research. No other family has had two members actively snapping in the NFL at the same time before. What's that? What is it like for you hearing that? That you guys are the first. You're like you're like a Neil Armstrong if Neil Armstrong only had to touch the ball a handful of times a game. Great analogy, um, and I will take it and run with it. Uh, huge honor, um, especially to be. I mean, to be the first in your position to do something uh, with a family member is. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a huge honor. Uh, some, you know, I hope we can we can play against each other for, uh, for a long time. So, uh, definitely looking forward to it for sure. Now don't tell your father, but I'm actually working with some people I know who do woodwork and I'm commissioning a wooden plaque for him just to kind of commemorate all of this. The first family of long snapping. He can throw some pictures of you guys. (laughs) He can do whatever he wants with it. I just, I love, I know that I texted Kevin afterwards as soon as I got the news just to congratulate him. And he meant, and I brought up the idea, like, he's lucky that you're both on the same coast. And you're not, I mean, think about it. Same coast, same time zone, and twice a year, he and your mom can show up to watch both of you play. How awesome is that? Right. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple teams. I mean, we had his, uh, whatever you want to call it, his, his big board, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. of team that he kind of heard from. He, uh, teams that, he, you know, that were talked to him a lot at the senior bowl and the combine, uh, you know, ra- it was basically a ranking system based on, uh, you know, there was probably six or seven different factors, contracts where he thought he could win the job. You know, Buffalo is obviously 32. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so there was a couple teams in his top five that were kind of, um, 
<laughs> not close. Uh, maybe uh, I would say other side of Texas. Uh, uh, so that would have made it probably um, pretty difficult on my parents. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, you know, couldn't could, probably couldn't have gone to a better place. Um, yeah. So I yeah. guess Atlanta, I guess if he went to Atlanta, that'd be easy for them. But oh yeah, oh that would, it'd be right in their backyard. When is yep. the last time your parents had to root for you and your brother on competing teams? Never. <laughs> I was going to ask, has it ever happened? It literally never happened. No, never happened. I mean, growing up, we were never – I mean, we were three years apart, so we were never on any of the same rec leagues. Um, I mean, we went to the same school, so obviously we didn't compete against each other. So I don't really know, to be honest. There's, I don't think it's ever happened. How confident are you that they can be bipartisan? <laughs> Have you put any thought into who they're who? Who do you think they're going to root for the hardest? I mean, on one hand, you've been doing it longer; you're the oldest, I and mean, there's a tendency to kind of drift that way. On the other hand, it could be well, we've been rooting for Reed for four or five years now. This is kind of old hat. Ah, the kid—he's getting his start. I told them. I mean. Shoot, as far as I'm concerned, whoever's when we play each other twice a year, whoever the home team is, they can root for that son. That's fair. That's I don't, bring, I don't bring care. They can root for him both games, and we're still going to beat them. <laughs> Does is I would expect I wouldn't put it past your mom to have the split jersey. Is she going to get one of those half and half? We all. We've been talking about it, but she, she I don't know if she's going to get one. She didn't really like the idea of that. I think she's probably just going to wear – I think she's legitimately going to wear whoever the home team is. That's smart because, you know, blue and teal in the family section. don't go together. I mean, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I had her sitting in the family section. And then I guess one of the big questions just in terms of Blake, because now that you've spent a lot of time with him and you guys have been working together, which we're going to talk about here in a second – how long after all of the celebration, all of the excitement over him being drafted, how long did it take for the reality for him to set in that the real work just got started? Uh, I think it was pretty quick. I mean, he, I, I, I think, well, I, at least I like to think I've done a pretty good job of um, getting him ready both on the physical side and the mental side. Um, because the mental side, especially coming in as a rookie, is way more important than the physical side. Um, so, I mean, get you know, I think it set in pretty quickly. I mean, he he knows by you know from seeing me for the past four years, you know what what kind of work he's got to put in to stay in this league for however long he wants to stay in. So, um, you know, I like to think that he's got his head screwed on straight. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, you would know better than anybody because you've been working alongside of him for weeks now. And I guess that's yep. the next next step in this conversation is talking about the New York Times piece that was written about you a week or so ago, which it's a fantastic piece. You're just talking about you, your brother, and the other players that you spent your offseason training with. Now, guys, those of you listening at home, there's a link to the article in the show's description if you haven't read it yet. I, I Strongly suggest you go check it out. I, it was behind a thing where you either had to subscribe or sign up so they could inundate you with advertising. Chris, I signed up. That's how badly I wanted to read this. 
How does it feel that you're national news, Mr. Ferguson? <laughs> uh, pretty <laughs> cool. Um, not gonna lie. I mean, it was we we had to pick up a couple of a uh, couple of copies just to have for for keepsake. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool. Um, the, the the guy that came down uh, and stayed here, the photographer, uh, is a buddy of mine. He shoots our games every week, our home games uh, every week. So I've gotten to know him um, over the year, over the past couple years. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was it was really cool. It was really fun. Uh, just that's them kind of being able to document us, kind of going through our weekly stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been very cool. Chris, one of the first things that went through my head as I'm reading this article and they're just talking about Reed and they're talking about all of his accomplishments and the things that he's done. I'm like, Reed would probably blush a little bit or try to downplay some of this simply because that's who he is. I mean, true or false, we have to, when we're out in public, he, he prefers to be referred to as an accountant. Yeah. We have his, uh, <laughs> we have his fake job title. He's an accountant. Financial advisor. Financial advisor. And he, he goes to a lot of conferences. Yeah. He, he goes to a lot of conferences. Yeah, he goes to six. Every Sunday I have a conference. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of those things that speaks to how humble you are. And I, it, it blows my mind. It really does. Because there's a lot of people who would want those types of accolades. And so to see a guy like you being recognized at this level, it just it struck me as funny. Did it give you some perspective, the fact that the New York Times is doing an article about you and your brother and the workouts that you're kind of hosting here, did it give you some perspective on just how far you've come in this, the course of your career so far? 100%. Um, I mean, to even be considered for the front page of the sports section of, um, of a newspaper as big as the New York Times uh, is pretty, pretty humbling. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, really well written. Um, even though they screwed up one of the captions and Blake is engaged to Erica right now, <laughs> so that's, that's great. Even though they got it right in the actual story, the one of the captions, it's, if you go back and look at it, it says, uh, it's a picture of me FaceTiming Erica when we were doing one of our premarital counseling sessions and it says Blake was FaceTiming with his fiance, I think is, is what the caption says. So, uh, we got a, we got a little kick out of that. I don't know how many, how many times it was edited by however many people, but something <laughs> through the cracks. So anyway, um, just a funny thing to laugh about. I'm not going to spoil the article for any of our listeners out there, but in terms of the two of you, now you and your brother, you've been working out living together. In terms of the two of you shacking up together down there in Georgia, how hard is it to quote unquote stay out of each other's business during these, because there's so much stuff you can do together, but now you play for not just opposing teams, but opposing teams in the same division. So obviously there has to be a separation of church and state there. Yeah. If you want me to fly down there, I'll bug his room. I'll bug his room. Who are you, Bill Belichick? Yeah. Get out of here. I'll bug his room. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, no, it hasn't been too hard. I mean, we are very, you know, we're very much respective, sorry, respectful of each other's space, um, and time. Uh, you know, ever since we kind of opened up down here in Georgia, I've been able to get back into a gym. Um, so I'm kind of limiting the, the garage workouts now that I can get back in an actual weight room. Um, 
but uh, no, it's been it's been uh, good so far. You know, he has meetings a lot of the times when I'm not having meetings, and then when I have meetings, he's not in meetings. So it's kind of it's easy to kind of stay out of each other's way. Now, in the article, they mentioned the fact that this is the first time you and your brother have like lived together since high school, which makes sense. I mean, you went away to LSU. Right. He was still at home. Then he got to LSU, but you weren't living together. I think weren't you roommates with uh, Daniel Hunter at one point? Yes, senior year. Yeah, and you, you defensive end Daniel Hunter. For anyone who doesn't know, go ahead and go to Google Images. The dude looks like a Marvel comic book character. It's, it's he looks like a the Dick's mannequin when you walk in the front the store. <laughs> it's it's incredible. But so you guys didn't live together. So this is kind of a dry I, run of you two sharing the same space after years apart. What's one of the things that didn't make the article in terms of stuff that you think, I don't know, how you guys are different? Kind of like a modern-day odd couple. Because obviously when you put two people who haven't lived together for a very long time in the same space, there's some things. What are some things that you and he differ from? Oh, that's a good question. I would say, I mean, maybe I guess the uh, first thing that comes to mind is maybe like waking up. Uh, I mean, he he sleeps in. He's able to sleep in, and he does. I have to get up and walk the dog. Um, so our schedules are shifted a little bit on that. Um, I mean, I, I mean, really, the the story tells a true. I mean, pretty true based on our schedules. I mean. We're, I mean, we do a lot of the same things together. I mean, playing video games, going grocery shopping. I mean, all that, all that stuff. I mean, we we're cooking meals together a lot, grilling out, whatever it may be. I mean, it's it's pretty spot on. What are some of the biggest differences between the two of you? Because obviously, brothers, long snappers, both went to LSU. Everyone wants to lump you guys into the same group, and yet you couldn't be more different based on what I know of you. And the fact that his nickname is Hype City. When I look, and when I look at him, right. his haircut looks more like Chris's than it does yours, considering you don't have any. <laughs> how, how else are you guys different? That's right. How else That's are you right. guys different? Yeah, um, let's see. Well, um, yeah, I mean, personality-wise, he's definitely more of the uh, loud, outgoing type A personality. I would say I'm near opposite um gosh i mean he he's very into a lot of the netflix you know shows i you know he uh, he's he watches the netflix shows pretty much all the time uh i i partake a little bit um i'm tr- i'm really trying to think there we don't i mean there's there's really not a ton um a, a ton of of like big huge differences well, let me ask you I mean, this: We eat a lot of the, we, we 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 eat a lot of the same foods. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Who's the best FIFA player in the house? That's what the burning Don't question here. <laughs> What'd you say? Chris can tell you. Chris can tell you how good I am from living with him. Yeah, he was like I dominate. I dominate. Yeah, you, all the time. You were like in like the <laughs> top. The you were like in the top tier of yep. FIFA players. Yep, in the world. In, yeah, I claim to fame. My claim to fame is that I beat Reggie Bush twice my rookie year, and I mean I'm happy to claim that I'm best in the league. <laughs> and if anybody wants to come challenge me, I'm up for it. 
What's your handle there, what, son? Yeah, Throw what, it out there. You can't your, just say that without throwing it out there. Yeah, what's your Xbox handle? Yeah, Xbox, Snapflow50. Bang. Look at that. He's throwing the gauntlet down, guys. Get after him on Xbox if you feel like you... But listen, you come at the king, you better not miss. Don't, don't let That's me find right. out you all out there get embarrassed by Reed. I'm going to talk to him. We're, taking, we're keeping receipts on this one. Now, as far as the training and the workouts and the stuff that kind of made up the meat and potatoes of that article and kind of what you've been doing this, this summer, one of the best things to come out of that article, which besides finding out that you're a sucker for pancakes, like, come on, pancakes, Reed? Really? Pancakes. French toast is a million times better than pancakes. I will tell you that I have seen. Do Reed- you know how long, how much the added time it takes to make French toast in the mornings? Do you know the added time? I don't give a shit. Pancakes <laughs> are terrible. Do you it's- know you can pre-make pancake mix and you just dump it on the pan in the morning? It's easy. I did not I'm know all this. About, I'm all about efficiency, Drew. Come I, on. I, I I will admit that I was not aware. I will that tell you, you can make that you can pre-mix pancake mix. I will tell you when he lived here. I read <laughs> read. Cuts his pancake, the whole pancake up before he starts eating. So they're no, little, yeah. So they're in little squares. <laughs> they're in little squares, Dude, like a five-year-old. No, listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> so what? I cut my pancakes up before I eat them because if you cut, if you put, if you stack your three pancakes like a normal person, if you stack them and then you add the syrup, you can't. The, no syrup gets on the second and third pancake. So if you cut it up, you get full <laughs> syrup coverage. I wish I'm I could. The, I so, I'm not the crazy one here. I so badly wish I could yell at you for that, but that's genius. That's the, that is, Chris, more surface area. More surface area. For, it makes scientific <laughs> sense. Damn it. I wish I could disagree with him here, but I'm wrong. But one of the best things to come out of it besides your love for pancakes was just picturing, kind of hearing them describe these workouts that you and Blake have been putting on with Bill's punter, Kari Vedvik. And yes, for our listeners out there, Kari Vedvik, the man whose case of the yips killed the New York Jets in week one of uh, 2019, exactly the way that I predicted it would. And our recently drafted kicker, Tyler Bass. I mean... And also, I'm still laughing at the fact that this image of your dad out there shagging balls for you guys, he must have been in all of his glory, just having the time of his life out there. He always is. He loves shagging for us, and we, we greatly appreciate it. <laughs> one, le- one less thing we gotta, we got to worry about. So now, obviously, you we don't have to worry about you. You're on top of your game. There's no doubt about that. Everybody knows Reed Ferguson, A number one, he's on top. But when I think about these, just the people involved in these practices, I can't lie. I'm intrigued. Just considering that for the first time in what feels like more than a decade, it looks like there might be some real competition on our hands from a special teams perspective. Now, first of all, Vedvik. I mean, there was a lot of Bills fans that questioned him being included on the roster at all at the end of the season. Because, again, everyone's reaction was the same as mine. You know, they kind of rubbed their eyes wanted to make sure it wasn't a typo, and then said, isn't that the guy who missed a whole bunch of field goals to cost the Jets the game week one? Now, I hear that he's training to be a punter. In your eyes, having worked with a number of just aspiring punters and also NFL-caliber punters, 
How has he developed in that facet in your eyes as a, as a specialist? Yeah, um, he's been really great to work with, uh, super hard worker, um, you know, really committed to his craft. Uh, I think the biggest thing coming into kind of this year was he wanted to work on his consistency uh, just because um, kind of the big thing for him was he can hit a big ball, uh, but he can't put two and two, you know, back to back together. Uh, so he's done a real good job of kind of developing a routine, a good routine um, when we can get out and kick on the field together uh, with Tyler and developing developing that consistency um, to a higher level, uh, but also working, uh, you know, one, working on the punting aspect and then two, uh, the holding aspect, because that's um, that's going to be very important in the decision making, especially when you have somebody as picky as. Stephen Houchko on your hands. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's done a great job so far. Super committed um, to, to getting work in. I mean, excuse me, he was uh, living in Birmingham, Alabama, about two and a half hours away from me. Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, he got a place here in Atlanta for a couple weekends um, to be just to be closer to me so we could work, uh, work some more. During the during the middle of the week instead of just on the weekend. So, um, if anything, that shows just how committed he is to, to trying to earn the spot on the team. Well, that's good. I mean, that's what it takes. I mean, I, I feel Absolutely. like I feel like specialists, and maybe you can maybe you'll agree with this. You guys play a very unforgiving position, all of you collectively, punters, kickers, long snappers, because the only time that you're doing your job. At the highest level, like the times when you're at the top of your game, nobody notices that you're even doing it. And at the same time, when you guys make a singular mistake, it's a glaring one. And you guys can be crucified for it. So even though you don't touch the ball as many times as anybody else, you guys are also kind of, I feel like from one point, from the handful, you have such a small sample size to work with. You guys are probably the most easily crucifiable players when mistakes do happen. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, and I think a big part of that comes from a, a, a big part of the kicking game being scoring points. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times when we're out there, we're kicking extra points or field goals. Um, and then on the flip side of that, if we're not kicking field goals, you know, if something goes wrong on a punt, Usually you're on your own side of the field, so if it gets blocked or something, the opponent is immediately in scoring position. So, uh, yeah, like you said, you know we're kind of in the crosshairs um, as far as our position goes. And then if we, you know, if we screw up, it's it's usually a, a huge momentum turning point in the game. Yeah, I mean it's. I don't envy shout you guys. To, shout out to Greg Torlone. Uh, I know he loves to talk about momentum. <laughs> Greg, <laughs> Buffalo Bills flag holder Greg Trelone. I remember Chris. He was our first guest on this podcast. Yes, first, very first, first in, guest on this podcast. First in studio guest, Greg Trelone. Now you guys, it's unforgiving for you guys, and I guess that's one of the things that makes the kicking situation for the Buffalo Bills it's developing so interesting. And you've gotten to see Tyler Bass. Again, can we call him Legatron? Legatron 2.0. I think yeah, is, is yeah. his is his He's leg? Prove it first. Is his well, le- exactly? Is his leg like the equivalent of Allen's arm? Like Allen can just throw it over the mountains. Bass can just kick it over the mountains. 
Probably. Like Uncle Rico. Well, that's it. I mean, the viral videos is kind of that's kind of what grabbed everyone's attention of you working with Tyler Bass. The Instagram video that kind of it set everyone on fire. It's probably one of the big things fans want to know about in terms of the work you guys are doing down there in Georgia this off season. One of the things people questioned, and I guess when we're talking about Tyler Bass, I'll ask this of you: One of the things that people questioned, myself included, post draft in the wake of the draft ending was the Patriots drafting of the kicker Justin Rohrwasser over more established names. Like, I mean, based on every outlet I could find, Tyler Bass was like the number two or number three ranked kicker in the country coming into the draft. Rodrigo Blankenship, on the other hand, was probably the most well-known kicker coming out of NCAA football out of Georgia. Chris, he's had one of the biggest careers. He's been in multiple primetime games, playoff games, national title games, and made huge kicks, and yet he went undrafted. Meanwhile, this guy no one never has ever heard of, Rohrwasser, he gets drafted around before we take bass. So I want to ask you this first. What is it about the transition from NCAA kicking to professional kicking that you think makes it hard to project a player like Blankenship or Bass? One thing I think uh, that feeds into that is purely just the pressure of playing on an NFL team. I think that's enough for some guys to uh, to kind of not be able to perform. Uh, the other thing, I mean, I mean, you take into consideration the uprights are, are more narrow. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different factors that go into it. I think a lot of the stadiums. Um, that you could potentially play in, especially in the Northeast. Uh, the, the, the weather takes more, uh, you, you have to take the weather more into consideration. Um, so I think there's a, there's a handful of factors that, that kind of, um, you know, play into that decision. But uh, it was certainly surprising to see, well, or maybe it, I guess it wasn't surprising to see the Patriots draft a guy uh, who was really not on anybody's board. Yeah, I mean, Bilicek, it'll be interesting to see how much of that Bilicek can get away with now that he doesn't have a Hall of Fame quarterback on his team. I mean, he's a good coach, but I feel like they've been playing fast and loose with the NFL draft for so long that eventually it's going to come back and bite him in the ass. Hopefully this is one of those picks. So in terms of Tyler Bass, based on the time you've gotten to spend with him, I mean, Chris was talking about him like he's Uncle Rico, the Josh Allen of kickers. Just how powerful is his leg? Uh, I mean, you saw it on the video. He stroked a 65-yarder. So, I mean, he can, he's got the distance. I mean, it's – now, that's when his mechanics are good and there's no crowd noise. I mean, you just mentioned – That's what I'm saying. I mean, you – Well, Nets, I guess – You kind of take videos like that with a grain of salt because there's, there's no outside factors happening there. Oh, of course. Uh, there's no I mean, pressure. You know, the, fans love, the fans love to see it. You know, it's good. I mean, we were getting good work in. That's kind of the most important part. But mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of hard to judge, um, you know, kicks on air like that. Well, of course. And I, but, but, and I guess that's the thing. It's, you know, it's like the guy who can go into his driveway and shoot free throws like it's nobody's business. But if you put him in a competitive game with a man in his face, all of a sudden he, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. It's the same situation. That pressure does bring an added dimension to the job. And so I guess with that in mind, when you've been working with him, 
How does Bass stack up compared to some of the professionals that you've worked with over the course of your career? Just in terms of mechanics, his consistency, and what you think his his ability to handle some of that pressure might be. Yeah, I think he, he stacks up pretty well. I think, uh, I mean, we've been able to work together probably six or seven times now. Um, and from what I can tell, he's got a good head on his shoulders. And, you know, he, 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 work, he's, he has been working very hard. Um, and he's always looking to, uh, looking for ways. He's asking me how he can improve. He's asking me about different situations that, that might come up. I mean, he's he's constantly asking questions. That's all you can ask for from a from a guy coming in and, and trying to compete for a spot, whether he was drafted or not. So, um, it's been it's been good so far. We've gotten a lot of good work in, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got nothing but good things to say about him so far. No, I mean, and that's and that's important because as the special teams captain, <laughs> if he's asking you questions, it shows that he's at least engaged. He's engaged, and he knows, it seems like, he's got a lot to learn. I mean, it's, and I think that it'll be beneficial for him once he can finally get in front of, get some real face time with the position coaches, more consistent reps on a daily basis. For once sure. You, once you guys start camp, which is one of those things that we were talking about, Chris. This truncated season has really robbed rookies of that. Yeah. Which, in a way, almost, it almost, you feel like they're being robbed. Because it's taking away time that their development's going to need, specifically guys who are fighting for jobs. Yeah. And so in that way, one last thing I want to ask you about. Recently, NewYorkUpstate.com's Matt Perino. He's talking to special teams coordinator Heath Farwell. Because this kicking competition is a thing now. The second you draft one, it becomes a thing. You know, It would be like if the Bills had drafted their quarterback in the top four rounds. And someone would look and say, okay, well, is this a... Is there a quarterback controversy? Seeing that you drafted a kicker rather than getting an undrafted free agent, you immediately create the look of a kicking controversy. So Perino was talking with Heath Farwell, your special teams coordinator, about the topic of kicking, and Stephen Hauschka came up. And Farwell said that in speaking to Hauschka after the draft, they discussed his them picking bass. And he just told him, listen, it's your job to lose. You can either pack it up or you can compete. That's the quote. My yep. first my first question to you, what is it about the kicker position you think makes it so hard for rookies to displace veterans, regardless of age or athleticism? I mean, you're t- 2019 Robbie Gould. Robbie Gould, who has been ruining my life from a fantasy football perspective for more than a decade. He got franchise tagged because he was so important to the San Francisco 49ers kind of aspirations from a special teams perspective. Adam Vinatieri was still kicking in the NFL. I mean, he, he had a rough year, but he was coming out of training camp. He still held off all comers. What is it in your mind that makes it so hard for rookies to try to push these veterans out of their job? Great question. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to just having skins on the wall. Um, in terms of uh, experience and, and, you know, in in positions like their specialists, you want guys that have kind of been through the trials and tribulations um, over the years and, uh, you know, because you never know what's going to come up. I think that that plays a a lot into it. 
but also you've got you know you've got a, you know a vet against a rookie and the vet has gone out there and, and made all the kicks and whether or not the rookie is better the rookie might be better than him or not you know I'm not speaking on our situation specifically I'm just saying in general you know if the even if the rookie is better than better than the veteran and he you know they they both split halves or whatever throughout the preseason the veteran might go 100% on his kicks and the rookie even though he is better or thinks he's better whatever uh he might go you know six for ten and go 60 percent justify um you know go uh making a switch at the position sometimes you know because the the vet did went out there and, and did his job to the fullest of his capabilities so uh it, you know it varies a lot based on the team and all that kind of stuff um so you know there, there's you know, when I was coming out in the draft, my dad, you know, we, we had, you know, the, the ranking and everything. And my agent basically told me, you know, there's there's 32 teams, which means there's 32 different ways of thinking about each situation. Nobody thinks about it the same way. Everybody takes different factors into consideration. And that's just something that you have to accept as part of the business. And that's, you know, that's that's kind of. I think I probably went off on a tangent there, but no, that's no, that's fantastic yeah, because I mean, that's, that's, that's what this comes how, down to. How it goes? No, yeah. that, that's exactly what this comes down to. And Bills fans know, you know, Bills fans who have been paying attention understand the Bills, Chris. A slew of young kickers and kickoff specialists have come through here over the course of just the last, let's call it the last ten years. Dustin Hopkins, Dustin Hopkins, Chase McLaughlin, now kicks Chase McLaughlin. Uh, there was a Potter, I believe. I remember that being a name. Floated around somewhere. I remember our friend, fellow season ticket holder, James Potter, was really excited because he was like, I might have a Buffalo Bill that shares my last name and I can buy the jersey. And that dude got cut so hard. So it's one of those things where we've watched them try to come in and regardless of who it was or regardless of what your feelings on the incumbents, you know, Dan Carpenter, Ryan Lindell, Stephen Hauschka, everyone who came for the title missed. <laughs> These young guys couldn't push them out. So it's going to be interesting to see if in a truncated offseason, which we just got done talking about with Sean McDermott and his approach to rookies. I mean, I said this before the schedule came out. If week three, or even, Chris, week one, it's Buffalo Bills versus New England Patriots on Monday Night Football, and we need to sink a 46-yarder to win it at the buzzer. Reed, you're an NFL football player. You've worked with Sean McDermott. What are the odds Sean McDermott would trust that moment to an unproven rookie unless he's gone above and beyond to prove that he can't make what should be a fairly routine kick for an NFL kicker? Well, I mean, knowing knowing Coach McDermott uh, and kind of what we've been through in the past couple of years, you know, I I think if they're if they are making the decision to to you know keep a rookie kicker. They're gonna. They're, they they trust that he's gonna perform in whatever situation that we put him in. So, uh, you know, he probably would trot him out there. Uh, can't speak for how much confidence he'd have in him. I'm sure. You know, if he puts him out there and, and expects him to make the kick, he has full confidence. That's that's what I would. That's what I would assume. This this kicking competition, Chris, is gonna be one thing. I mean, Chris, we talked about it. We're returning a roster, and Reed's even mentioned it. We're returning a roster that's pretty much intact. Yeah, well, We've added pieces, but those pieces are veterans. They know their jobs. They know their roles. They know what their limitations and their fit is. 
There's a lot of guys coming in here for the Buffalo Bills this offseason. So there's not a lot of position, quote-unquote, battles coming up this offseason, which is a good thing. It speaks to the roster building we've done. This kicker battle is going to be interesting. It's going to be, one of, for me, one of the storylines I'm going to be watching this offseason. Well, yeah. Well, it all starts with Reed because, as we all know, nothing happens without Reed Ferguson, as we all know. <laughs> I, Reed, that's right. Shout out, Coach McDermott. I love that that's his ringtone for you, Reed. Yeah, when I get a text... When I get a text from Reed, it's nothing happens without Reed Ferguson, as well, we all know. Well, Reed, this has been a Thank blast. You. It's been good catching up with you. I'm glad to see you're doing well. Tell your brother we said hi and that I'm sorry that Chris tried to copy his haircut. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shake your head. Shambolic. Reed. Shambolic. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. all you can do. Yeah, just wait until uh, July when you come up here and I give you the keys to your house. Oh, my God. Reed, for all of our listeners out there. Have you leave there, him in the mailbox? <laughs> have you leave him in the mailbox? I asked my wife. I was like, do we have to let him in the house like this? Yeah. Really? For all of our listeners out there, you're usually an active guy in the off season. You know, you've got a lot of things going on. Where can our – do you have anything big coming up? Do you have any plans this summer? Anything that you're uh, – out, Outside on? of a wedding? <laughs> yeah, two weeks getting married, uh, or, or a little over two weeks. Uh, other than that, nothing planned. Um, planning to come back up to Buffalo, um, you know, sometime in July. So we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, not not much other than the wedding. Just waiting to hear some news on on when we can report back. Well, if you want to keep tabs on Reed's world travels, you know, he just went to Jerusalem a few months ago. He's if you want to keep track, he's a, he's a, he's a traveler. He's a food connoisseur. He cuts his pancakes in ways that I wish I could yell at, but I can't. Where can our listeners find you on social media there, Reed? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, SnapFlow69. Pretty active on there most of the time. Um, Instagram is Reed Ferguson, all one word. I post sometimes on there, mostly when I'm grilling <laughs> or, picture, picture, or pictures of my dog. Uh, it's either it's one or the other. And doesn't Buck have his own handle? Yeah, that's... He does. He does. He does. I was. I was. Uh, Erica tricked me into making one. She didn't trick me, but guilted me. I guess would be the right word into making an Instagram for Buck. It was active for like two weeks when when we made it, and then I was like, you know what? I don't really have time or the want to keep up with this. So, you know what? Whatever. Buck, sorry, Buck, you're no longer internet famous. <laughs> Reed, yep. thank you so much for joining us. Good, tell Blake we wish him the best of luck, except the two times a year that he has to play the Buffalo Bills, and we'll let you get out right. of here, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, uh, for having me on. As always, enjoyed it. Always good to talk to my boy, Reed Ferguson. You can find him on Twitter at SnapFlow69. He's on Instagram at Reed Ferguson, all one word. And I don't even remember his Xbox handle, but he gave it out earlier if you were listening. Snapflow50. Snapflow50. Go challenge him to FIFA if you want to get your ass kicked. <laughs> how, does, how does someone who specializes in snapping a ball get that good at a game where you kick it? I, have, I don't know. I don't know. I've watched him play FIFA, and he looks like he's pretty good at it. 
So he looks like he's pretty good. Yeah, I've yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who he's playing against. You know, <sighs> folks. Sometimes I just picture him as like as Vince Vaughn in uh, what's that movie with Jennifer Aniston where they like break up but they still share the apartment. You mean the breakup? Okay, Holy sure. Holy shit! How the movie? You know about a breakup? Yeah, you know how he's like playing video games and then like the date comes over and like they don't even go out because he's just playing video games with Vince Vaughn. <laughs> And he's yelling at some kid on a on the headset. Like I picture Reed doing that, See, but, but not swearing. But he doesn't swear. Yeah, that's what makes it hilarious, folks. We did it to you again. We really tried not to have a two hour podcast, but here we are. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> close. I don't know. I don't know the full timestamp, folks. First of all, before we get out of here, huge shout out to Reed. Check out the New York Times article. It's linked in the show's description. The thing I'd like to start doing is promoting local businesses or small businesses coming out. Now that we're reopening around the world, we're reopening. And if there's businesses, especially small privately owned companies that you enjoy, I urge you to go out and support them. And in that way, I'm going to try to help a couple of mine. The first one being Pepperfire Foods. Chris, best fucking hot sauce on earth. Go fuck yourself if you don't agree with me. I don't. I have not had that. Okay. So. I'm holding in my hand a jar of their Fusion Fire hot sauce, and in my other hand, I have a jar of Frank's Red Hot. Are you leaving that here with me? No. Okay. No, no, I'll <laughs> fight you over this. The Frank's Red Hot contains aged cayenne pepper, distilled vinegar, water, salt, garlic powder. When I look at the Pepper Fire, I've got ingredients in this Fusion Fire hot sauce. Fresh chili pepper, cherry pepper, pure scotch bonnet, field pepper, habanero, scorpion pepper, long red chili, chocolate naga pepper, jalapenos, a bird pepper, Caribbean red peppers, water, vinegar, sea salt, organic black pepper, fair trade Haitian espresso, organic mustard seed, organic tapioca starch. Chipotle, thyme, non-GMO xanthan gum. Chris, it's the cleanest tasting finishing hot sauce you'll ever have in your life. Dip your finger in the cap. Tell the people what you get. Well, first of all, I'm not like a sauce or food connoisseur where I can pick out all of the flavors that nope. are behind it. I will just be I able to... I want you to speak to the fact that how does it finish? I will be able to tell you if I like it or not. And how hot it is on a scale of 1 to 10. And here we go. It's got an earthy flavor, but it gets hot. You taste the various peppers. But then when you swallow, how clean does it finish? It's, uh, it is very clean. The, um, the first thing that went through my head, you might like punch me for this, but the first taste I got... I had I felt like I got a little bit of a hint of like I took a bite into a Slim Jim. <laughs> was like the first hint that I got. I haven't had a Slim Jim in so long, I don't know what it tastes like. But they're out of Rigon, Quebec, folks. And I love this stuff so much, I pay to have it shipped in internationally. And some of the packaging material that they used teased the existence of a quote-unquote white chocolate reaper sauce. Chris, I don't know. I, I don't think they did that on accident because they know me. Yeah. But they, but you got me. Hopefully, 
they, Chris, they've got me. Hopefully we can get some of you on board as well. There's a link to their website in the show's description if you want some, literally, some of the cleanest tasting hot sauce you'll ever have in your entire life. And then Wise Guys Pizza. Chris, <laughs> best pizza in Buffalo despite my frustrations at times. People who saw our tweet about me finding a screw in my wings, people jumped all over that because they love Schadenfreude. They love seeing other people suffer. They are still the only place in Buffalo that I can get Reaper Pepper wings on the regular. And what I love is that their owner, Jay, is a great human being who does a lot of work in the community. Yeah, he's very uh, he's, Chris, he's what, very well off in the South Buffalo community with football and, and other acts of service. He literally lives to serve his community. His family is almost on, on par with the community in terms of who he's trying to look out for as he runs this business. And to me, that's respectable. So I go out of my way to try to help the guy. And Chris, when we ran into the problems draft weekend, where I tweeted out about me finding a screw in my wings, yeah, and that took off because people love to be dicks on social media. Yep, that's Twitter. Okay? He reached out to me and tried to give me a $100 gift certificate. My th- Just to say he's sorry and that he's sorry it happened. And my thing to him was, Jay, I don't want your money. I want you to do well. And since then, since our conversation, and we've had a conversation conversation since then, he's constantly trying to help his business get better. When mistakes get made, he owns them, which, Chris, as we've found out here in the Buffalo area, can sometimes be unique. (laughs) Yep, yep. So with that said, they're one of my favorite places, and I urge you all to patronize them if you can. You will not be disappointed. Chris? Podcast is over next week. We're going to have another packed show for our listeners, including a discussion on, now that I have a son, fandom. How you find it, how you maintain it, and how it shapes the way that you see the world afterwards. I think it's a great topic. I think we're going to have another, we have some great interviews set up. The next few months are going to be interesting, and I'm excited about it, Chris, in this run-up to the start of NFL training camp. Let's do this thing. But, folks, for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.